What is up, investors, and welcome back to another episode of Bull Amongst Bears. I'm your host, Vishwa, and today we are having another episode of our series, Convo with the Bulls. So right now, I'm here with one of my favorite and chillest teachers of all time from high school, and still in high school, but Mr. Goldstein. So he's a business teacher here at Hillsborough High School, advisor of multiple clubs and activities, a Shark Tank lover, and has a vast background in numerous business-related careers. So, without further ado, the top G of this episode, Mr. Goldstein, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Paul Goldstein. Um, I'm happy to be here with Vishwa, who's taken a couple of my classes while at uh, Hillsborough High School and um, is one of the officers for the podcast club, and I'm happy to do this interview with him. All right, thank you. So, our first question of the day, I sort of wanted to go back in time to your college days and I wanted to ask you, what motivated you to pursue a degree in accounting? Honestly, I was uh, interested in it starting in high school. Um, I went to Monroe Woodbury High School in New York State. Mason were my teachers. Um, they did a great job of giving me the basics of financial accounting. And uh, I took that on to Binghamton University. And it, it just seemed like the right fit for me. I'm very analytical, um, methodical detail-oriented, some of the qualities that good accountants need to have. Great, great. So, while I was looking at your LinkedIn recently, I noticed that you worked as a controller at Barter Trade International. So, for the listeners, can you sort of explain what a controller exactly does? Sure. Um, typically, in an organization, depending upon the size of it, my department at that particular job, I had just transitioned out of public accounting into private accounting. And the controller typically oversees the day-to-day -day operations of the accounting and finance group, uh, reviews financials, signs checks, um, makes sure that the books are closed consistently on a monthly basis. They, they essentially are the boss of the day-to-day -day operation of, uh, again, the finance and accounting group. Awesome. I'll definitely look more into that. So our next question is a bit about your growth. So after working at Barter Trade International for a year, you became an accounting manager at Imclone Systems, a biopharmaceutical company, for those who don't know. And in less than a decade, you became the vice president of uh, financial operations. So what's your secret to all this growth? Well, I was fortunate to join the company uh, about 45 days after, after they uh, had their initial public offering. The company went public in November of 1991, and I was hired, as you said, as accounting manager in uh, January of 1992. So essentially, every public filing that we did with the Securities and Exchange Commission was my responsibility. Um, all the Form 10-Q and Form 10-K annual filings, uh, my department had to take care of, and I was responsible to make sure that that was done timely and, and well. Awesome. So actually, sort of a follow-up question to that. But um, you said you were in accounting in 1992, and uh, now we're in 2022. I wanted to know, do you, have you seen any like major difference from then and now in the industry? Well, the industry always evolves. Uh, the Financial Accounting Standards Board comes out with new rules and regulations uh, for, very, for various reasons, but um, we were one of the companies, unfortunately, that while we had a cancer drug approved, which was phenomenal, um, in late 2001, after we had done a billion-dollar deal with the Bristol-Myers Squibb, uh, we were supposed to have our cancer drug approved by the Food and Drug Administration, and at the last moment, they decided they wanted us to perform 
a final clinical trial before they considered whether to approve or disapprove the product. And it caused some rippling effects uh, on our company and our stock price was hit pretty hard and it took two more years to approve the drug and there were some casualties. Um, our CEO unfortunately went to prison. Um, our, some other officers over the next year left the company. So there were some things that uh, happened there um, that were not ideal. And the reason I bring all this stuff up is the creation of an act called the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, which was an internal control type of thing where many companies, so Arthur Anderson was one of the big six accounting firms at the time. Um, they were involved in audits of some of the other companies that had some fraud issues, WorldCom, uh, Enron, and companies like that. And we just happened to be another company that had some issues go on at the same time, even though we were a smaller company. And the Sarbanes-Oxley Act essentially allowed the outside accountants to have more tests that they could do to ensure that these things that were fraudulent or not ethical uh, were going to occur anymore. And, and it helped right the ship essentially for the, uh, you know, for the SEC and for the industry. Awesome. So I noticed you said um, the big six and now we're at uh, big four. Do you know what happened there? Um, after Anderson uh, went out of business, I think the remaining piece of Arthur Anderson is my daughter actually works for Accenture now, the international management consulting firm. And a lot of the remaining big four also have a consulting arm in addition to the, you know, the audit and tax arms on the accounting side. Um, a couple of the other firms merged. So that's why we got down to four from uh, what started out as, it started out as eight actually, then became six, and then ultimately is the four that exist and remain today. Oh really, that's actually really cool. I didn't, I didn't know about that. So now to um, continue on in your career, Mr. G. So Mr. G was also the founder of Gold Financial LLC, a company that was dedicated to providing individuals, families, and small businesses with assistance in budgeting. So after working as a controller and then in accounting and finance, what led you to start a company of your own? At the end of my um, tenure with, uh, with Imclone Systems, and as you mentioned earlier, I left as VP of Financial Operations. Um, it was a great experience. The last couple of years, we dealt with you know, some issues that um, burnt a lot of people out. I think it was just time for a change for me. And when I took a step back, uh, when I left there at the end of 2004, the drug had been approved, things were good. Um, I could have gone on to be a chief financial officer of a smaller company. Um, I made a decision instead to, you know, reflect on what are the things that I really wanted to do. And one of the things was maybe to help out some small businesses, individuals with things like cash projections and budgets that I had a lot of experience in over the years uh, in both uh, corporate as well as a little bit in the public accounting side. Um, so that's why I went in that direction. And it, it was almost like it was a combination of me uh, being philanthropic in addition to trying to start a business in that area. Um, and it was a nice change for me from a change of pace and the ability to still, uh, maybe not still, really um, reconnect with my family. Uh, during my corporate days, a uh, lot of hours, I didn't mind putting in the hours, but um, the detriment was there were times where I didn't spend as much time with my family as I wish I would have. Yeah, I mean, I love that um, transition into like helping, business, helping local businesses and um, other individuals. That's great to hear. So I kind of wanted to ask, 
How difficult was that transition from working corporate for over 15 years and working for yourself? Honestly, I'm not. Typically, when people uh, become entrepreneurs, there are a lot more that are creative and innovative. I'm not a creative, innovative type of person, but I am someone, again, who's analytical and logical. And a lot of companies that you know, could go out on their own, you think about the smaller accounting firms, they set up those small firms after working for big firms. A lot of them go into corporate. You get an expertise in an area, and you decide you want to you know, bring that to you know, people who need it. It was nice. It allowed me to coach. I coached for 18 years. It allowed me to, again, spend a little more quality time and balance the work uh, life aspect much, much better than I did in corporate. Um, as you'll find out, because uh, you're on a nice track going forward, you're going to have to bust it for a while, but at the end of the day, it'll be worthwhile. But I would, the advice that I would give anybody right now is make sure that you find that balance even when you're in the corporate, um, you know, to me, it was a higher stress environment than it was on my own. Definitely. I know um, I was looking into investment banking and quantitative finance, and I was looking at like the projected hours, and it was all of them initially at least 100 hours a week. And I was like, okay, that's going to be very difficult to like manage like my social life and then family and work as well. So Here's, here's what I'd recommend. So... Um, in public accounting, when we started out, there's something called busy season. The busy season typically is what looks like a tax season. So they say January through the end of March. A lot of companies have calendar year ends of December 31st. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done for getting uh, the SEC, the documents for companies to get their annual reports out, their form take 10K filed. Um, so that season, I was working on average probably about 70 hours a week, give or take, sometimes a little bit more. Uh, not as many as you just mentioned in the investment banking side. However, if you do that before you have a family and you put in, you know, show that effort, it may give you so many more opportunities that you can move into where you then can hopefully balance. Now, again, at the end of Imclone, I was working probably at least that many hours a week for two years after the delay in the drug being approved. But... I would say in today's society, yes, 100 hours is a little bit much. <laughs> but to say that you, know, you could be somebody working easily a solid 60 hours a week, um, you still can have the balance if you, uh, you know, put together a schedule, put your goals and objectives out, and, and really lay it out in a, in a proper manner. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'll definitely start planning out my future, even now and before even college, and then moreover in college as well. So. Our uh, next question, it's about like, if you face any initial struggles in starting the company? Um, fortunately, uh, because of my time uh, at Imclone, uh, I was in a good financial position where I didn't need to go to the banks for any loans to get started. So typically an entrepreneur does need to go out and find venture capitalists or investors or somebody like that. I didn't have that issue. The the timing of it, looking back, was I wish some of the apps and things that have come out since then, if I was good enough with coding <laughs> and could have created an app, I probably would have really made a lot of money in that business. Um, but again, I helped a lot of people, so that part of it was really good. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it was not labor-intensive. You know, I had stuff that I needed to put together, some templates and things like that. But I wish I would have had somebody along with me who could code, because I, I bet you I would have beat some of these apps to the market that are out there today. Yeah, definitely. That's why I'm itself um, 
going into finance as well as programming um, comp science. So for that, that way, like maybe like 10, 15 years down the line, if I ever want to start a company, I'm definitely going to need to know a lot of coding and like app development. So uh, yeah, I'll definitely look more into that. And um, our next question is just like, do you have any like general advice for teenagers interested in becoming an entrepreneur? From an entrepreneurial standpoint, I've been teaching it now here at Hillsborough High School. This is uh, my sixth year teaching and my fifth year teaching entrepreneurship. So my advice essentially would be, once you finish college, go out and work for somebody else for about five years, give or take. It may be 10, it may be five, it's whatever you're comfortable with. And work on your idea a little bit on the side if you have one, but if you don't have one now, get that experience. And if that's the area that you're gonna go into, keep putting extra money aside in a fund so you can help yourself get started. And if you come up with obviously a, a new patented idea, that makes it a lot easier, then you're gonna make a lot of money very quickly. But if it's not a patented idea, start putting together your business plan on the side if you have free time while you're getting ready uh, to make that transition. It'll make your transition a lot more, uh, you know, simple and efficient. Yeah, I'm sure that advice will definitely help everyone who wants to start into uh, become an entrepreneur, especially myself as well down the line. So um, our next question, after such a diverse career path, I want to know what made you want to become a teacher? I think I mentioned earlier um, that I've uh, had the opportunity to uh, coach for about 18 years. I, I coached in town and travel programs uh, in baseball and softball and a little bit of basketball, um, but primarily baseball and softball. And I really had an excellent rapport with people in the age range uh, that I ended up teaching, which is the high school range. I really started that rapport, I think, back when they were, you know, eight to 10, but I really connected most with the, you know, the teenagers that were transitioning toward college. And I just knew that it was something that I always wanted to do. I felt that I could, like I did with the business, um, give back what I've learned over my career and share that in a manner that the typical person who goes to school to be a teacher, they go through learning how to be a teacher. In my case, I have a bunch of real world experience that I wanted to share with the young people. And again, I felt that I would not have any issue connecting with that age range. And it's worked out really well. Yeah, I know. These past five years, as you, I think this marks your fifth year as a teacher. Right? Uh, sixth. Sixth year. That's yeah. great. That's awesome to hear. So, as a past student of your accounting and business management classes, I just want to know how important do you think it is for high school students to learn about these topics for their futures, regardless if they're in like a business-related path or not? Well, certainly for those who are considering or not 100% sure that they want to pursue a business-related path, um, Either or both classes will be beneficial. Uh, again, if you're one of those creative, innovative type of brains, I think the entrepreneurial class will be more beneficial. Um, it will give you bits and pieces of marketing, uh, of what an organization will look like when you grow and are profitable, a little bit of accounting, but really not too much. Um, so that's the business side of that class. and and. Um, one of my colleagues teaches a marketing class as well. That would be a full marketing, and that would give you, you know, a little bit more of a look into all areas of marketing. But if you took the accounting class, again, the analytical brain or something like that, that class that I teach here, is it, pro it pretty much mirrors the financial accounting class that any business major at a university or college would take. 
So I cover about 80 to 90% of what they're probably going to get when they go to that first class. And by taking these classes, it'll either say, yes, I really do want to pursue business. I may not know which area that I'm going to pursue. Or maybe they, they decide that they're not going to want to do that. For the people who maybe want to be a graphic designer or someone wants to be uh, in a medical field, at some point, like you said, down the road, 10, 15 years, you may want to transition into your own, you know, running your own business. Think about the people who maybe go to medical school or in another program for, you know, bioengineering. They may end up opening their own firm down the road, and this will prepare them and give them an idea, well, I could actually do this. So that's why it's a good idea to at least explore, um, and it'll help you make, maybe not make an immediate decision, but give you an idea if that's something that you really enjoy or not. Yeah, for sure. I have a lot of friends in the uh, medical path, and they're all probably going to start their own practice down the line. And knowing these essential topics that we learn in accounting would definitely help them. So our next question is sort of specific to our club, the uh, Hillsborough Stock Exchange. And since you're advisor of it, I wanted to hear your thoughts about teenagers getting into the stock market and personal finance this early in their lives. As things have evolved, um, what I found from all of you is that you knew a lot more about the stock market and investing than I did at your age. It wasn't even close. We didn't have anything like what we have here now. Um, again, the combination of all the sites, the apps, the shows on CNBC and other, other channels just provide you with so much information. And I have to say, uh, this is year number three or four for me advising this club. You guys know more than I do, even at my age. Um, I'm just so impressed at the depth and breadth of everything that you have studied and learned and are able to articulate to the new people who are coming into the club. So um, I, again, from what I see moving forward is if you do decide to invest early, you'll take advantage of the time value of money. You'll take advantage of um, the ups and downs of the market, unfortunately, right now we're in a, a pretty bearish situation. Uh, me personally, I've been hit pretty hard, but it is what it is. Hopefully it'll recover. But at the end of the day, I, I do think a lot more students are coming in about investing now, whether it be in a Roth IRA even, or even in dabbling a little bit with some, some stock investments. You can be so much more risky at your age as long as you're not you know, risking your college education money. Yeah. So, I mean, that's actually one of the reasons why I also created this podcast in the first place. So I had a lot of friends at the time who asked about the stock market, personal finance, and I kind of just wanted a way to like teach them everything I learned over like past like two years of COVID in sort of a simplified way in like these short, like 10, 20 minute episodes. And uh, yeah, now it's going so great since then. So Yeah, the club's been terrific. You guys are doing a great job. Yeah, that's all thanks to you as well. Don't worry. Thanks. So our final question of the day, I just wanted to hear your personal advice or any last thoughts for teenagers listening. I would certainly say that uh, make sure as a teenager that you explore lots of different types of things. Um, I don't want to upset any parents, but um, if you have a passion and your parents may want you to go a certain route, show them that passion and why you feel that it's going to be something that would be beneficial to you. Uh, typically, if you follow your interests and your passion, you'll be a lot happier in your career than if you go down a path that someone told you to go down, and ultimately you may change later on. It may be a little bit more difficult to 
to get there. So you can still put together a set of objectives and goals and share them with your parents. You could put together a presentation because we've done presentations. We do them in the club all the time. Present something to your parents and say, hey, this is why I want to do this. And maybe you can convince them that, you know what? You're a polished young person. I really see the passion in you. The growth rate for this business is maybe, you know, well above the norm for uh, some of the other areas that we may want you to go into. And, you know, go for it. Yeah, I love that. That's actually something that I experienced as well. So when I first wanted to get into investing with real money, my dad sort of was like hesitant on it because I was still only, I think, 15 or 16 at the time. And um, I had to like make presentations, show him my interest. And then also for the first few, I think about first few two to three months, he'd ask me to present every single stock that I wanted to invest. And then he'll assess that and give his own personal advice on that. And from then, now it's all going pretty well. That's great. I mean, he trusted you enough, but he gave you a teaching opportunity to, this is what you're going to have to do. You don't, you're not just given money. It's like a business plan if you've decided to become an entrepreneur. You need to present it. You need to be confident about it. You need to show real information. You did research on those companies, I'm sure, before you went ahead and invested in them. So that's great. Yeah. Everything was going well until this uh, past year yeah, to date. <laughs> You know what, again, I, I get up upset when I look. It's down again today, but it is what it is. We, we had, except for the pandemic, since the housing crash in 2008, we were pretty much in a bull market almost all the way through, which is extremely unusual. Now there's some pullback. If we didn't grow the, the amount that we did over the last you know, several years, including the recovery from the pandemic, um, I wouldn't feel so bad right now. But, you know, like a lot of people, you know, you have a portfolio, it's down 25%. You feel pretty bad about that. <laughs> yeah, I know for me as well. I think it's down 27%. But anyways, this is all a part of stock market investing. You're basically investing money that you're okay to lose. So that's, that's sort of the mindset you should have. And um, yeah, so that's about it for this episode. I'd just like to say thanks to Mr. G for taking time out of your busy schedule to spend time with us and record this episode today. All right. I hope you all enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Okay, then. So thanks for tuning in to another episode of Bull Amongst Bears and stay on the lookout for another one coming soon.